stuff. It is my honor to welcome my new friend, Pierce Freelon, a certified and bona fide creator of good stuff for kids and families, to episode number 278 of the Good Stuff Kids podcast. Pierce, my new friend, how are you today? I'm doing good. 278. That's not bad. Yeah, I know. You know what? I actually whiffed it. It's 279. Okay. <laughs> After well, all that's, that. That's much less exciting. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry. Um, I know 278 is a special number for you, but hopefully with 279, we can, uh, we can, we'll be all right. As we were all talking right. about before, you and I both like to keep, to keep it loose. So I figured may as well start off like that. So, <laughs> so, so Pierce, let's, uh, let's talk about where you are right now. So I'm here in Houston, Texas. But where are you located? I am in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. I've been in Durham, North Carolina. I actually saw um, Tenacious D in Durham, North Carolina. Whoa. That's, that's my – and it was many years ago. But I had a, a very good time, as you may as you may imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Durham is a cool town, man. It's a very interesting cultural southern oasis here in North Carolina. Yeah, and the is that UNC or is that NC State? I get the, these things or Duke. I get these things well, mixed up. Yeah, so Duke is in Durham, but you know the the regionally we're called the Triangle. We have Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and those three schools you mentioned: uh, NC State, uh, UNC, and Duke are. Uh, three of the big schools here. Um, but, you know, we also have North Carolina, interestingly, has a lot of historically black colleges. And so uh, there are also three HBCUs here, North Carolina Central, um, Shaw and St. Augustine. So total university area for sure. Right. And definitely like an, an academic kind of place, like a lot of research is happening in the area. Um, it's it's definitely uh and I think that like some major like tech companies have have started to to maneuver their way out there because it, it's it's a uh, easy living's the wrong word, but it's 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 good living for for those in, in that kind of field. But that's not we're not. I mean, we are the tourist bureau for North Carolina, <laughs> know, but that's not why we're here. Although you do have a special connection to the city of Durham. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell me what that is like in, in like a real political way. You're like doing the thing. Sure. Yeah, no, I am a member of Durham City Council. So I make policy, I legislate. And, you know, just last night, we had a a lengthy city council meeting talking budgets and policing and, you know, uh, all types of stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm a Durham native born and raised and member of city council here. So it's interesting, you know, as a and we're going to get to the music momentarily, and, and specifically the music that you're making for for kids and families. I've never met anyone who is sort of in both of these worlds, the political world as well as the the music world. I mean, I know there's lots and lots of people, lots and lots of musicians who are political, right? They have their stances, they have their stands, but they may not actually sit in like budget meetings and things like that. When you were growing up, did you think you were going to be a musical politician or a a (laughs) politically motivated musician or or whatever the, the framework is? Well, you know, my parents were both creative. Uh, My dad was an architect. He passed away uh, two years ago from ALS, but was a very creative guy and photographer and drawer and illustrator, but, you know, primarily an architect. And my mom was a singer. She was a jazz vocalist. So I always saw kind of the arts as an important, um, you know, path and opportunity for me. 
Uh, but also here in Durham, I was surrounded by people who were really invested in their communities. Sometimes those are politicians. Sometimes they're cultural movement workers, like, you know, dancers or musicians that kind of play at political events or, um, you know, use the microphone between songs to to make political statements and proclamations. So um, those worlds were never separate from me. And, you know, some of the people that I draw the most inspiration from kind of blur those lines, like a Bob Marley. You know, you look at his body of work and so much of it is political. So much of it is speaking to the times and the moment. Uh, Marvin Gaye, you know, Nina Simone, like these are the folks that I grew up really listening to and diving headfirst into their music and for me, it was just a, a really seamless extension of my love for community to step beyond writing songs about uh, change and to actually, you know, creating change through policy. Um, so, yeah, man, it's 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 all love. It comes from a place of love. My music comes from love and my desire to serve as a public servant comes from love so right. i hope you yeah hope you feel that yeah oh absolutely feel that and i think that as we get to know you you know through the course of this interview we're gonna that's gonna come out and that's gonna come up so you mentioned um you know marvin gay nina simone some of your influences um when you started making music when you you, you know sort of went down that particular path was your vision to be a kids and family entertainer? I mean, I know that's a really, uh, that's a leading question if there ever was yeah. one, but I'm curious <laughs> about how, how, what, like the, the, the flow of your music career has been. Yeah, well, uh, not, not really. I mean, I started making music in high school. And so, uh, if you go back and listen to my catalog from that era, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of, uh, interesting topics that don't relate to children. Um, but, you know, my music was always an extension of and an expression of, of where I was at the time. So, you know, during college, it was college stuff. Uh, I'm sure you can use can. your imagination to imagine what that was about. Yeah. But, you know, uh, my wife and I um, got married pretty young. Um, we're, we just celebrated 13 years of marriage and we had kids early. So um, pretty much as soon as I had kids, I started writing songs about fatherhood. I started, you know, one of my first songs about being a dad was called Sleeping in My Bed. And it was about how my kid at the time, you know, two years old, would just crawl out of his crib or out of his bed and just jump in our bed. And it was <laughs> frustrating and annoying. And it was like, basically the song is like, get out of my bed. <laughs> yeah. That was the gist of the song. We have a music video for it. It was just fun. Uh -huh. And so gradually, you know, as I had my second child and they got older, like when you sit, when I, I don't, I, I don't know if every songwriter is like this, but when I sit down to write a song and express myself, the only thing that comes out of that pen is like my day, my life, what I'm thinking about, what I'm reading. And as a parent, you know, that just became a lot of, a lot of what I wrote about. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that, you know, from my angle, right, personally, the fact that you're able to turn that into music is is a good thing because I know, speaking for myself, I often get overwhelmed, right? I have three little kids and to to be able to turn the sort of the, the craziness, right, like the, the whirlwind that is like my life into music is just not where I'm at. So I'm really glad that you're able to, to find that artistic connection. Um, 
So before we get to the music, you, you've also done a ton to, to give back to your community. Um, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, I happen to have the, the luxury of looking at your website, but, you know, some, I would love to learn a little bit and, and you know, I'm, I'm just going to put these things out there and um, I'd love to hear you just explain a little bit about them, like the beat making lab and, and black space and, and these things that you've done for youth to really sure. help with making positive, positive change and positive impact and positive influence. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I guess we haven't talked about this yet. We've mentioned musician and, and politician, I guess, but not uh, educator, which is a really important part of, of who I am and what I'm passionate about. And, uh, you know, beat making lab started just as a class. It was an electronic music production class that I was teaching and it was really, really important at UNC. I was a professor in the music department there, and I also taught in the Black Studies department. Um, but it was really important to me always, every single time I've taught a course at UNC or at Central, that that curriculum and some of the fun aspects of the classes that I taught are available to kids in the community who may not have the privilege of being able to go to a, a, a fancy university like Central or Carolina. And, you know, it's tough. Like, I grew up in Durham. I'm a product of public schools. And uh, I had some private school education as well. But, you know, I spent most of my time in public schools. And, you know, a lot of the kids, a lot of my peers that I grew up with, they weren't with me as I kind of moved on to college and to this next phase of life. And it always felt unfair. Like, you know, you step on campus, you have this beautiful library and there's like a studio under the library. You can rent movies. I remember thinking like, I don't have to go to Blockbuster. <laughs> they got movies in the library. Like, this is awesome. You know what I mean? We got a yeah. cafeteria. We got basketball courts. What is this? It's yeah. like this whole universe. It's like paradise. <laughs> oh my God, it's paradise. And it's, and it, you know, it's a privilege. That's what it is. It's a privilege. So finding ways, especially after going to college and seeing what it was like, I was like, this is like awesome camp, like rich camp. <laughs> uh -huh. And everyone that I grew up with deserves access to this. Everyone deserves it. Not just me because my parents did well, not just, you know, the folks in the AP classes. Like this is a basic human right. Everyone deserves it. So I started looking for ways to extend the curriculum, you know, beyond campus and into the communities uh, that that um, you know that are home to children who who may not be able you know to come onto campus, and so that was the genesis of like beat making lab coming off campus and coming into the community black space, you know, uh, buying equipment and setting up a studio in the hood for you know black and brown children to have access to this studio equipment and. Uh, software and MIDI controllers and music theory and, you know, mentorship. Like that was just, I was not content to just have access to that myself while, you know, dozens of, you know, hundreds, thousands of kids who look just like me didn't have that same access and privilege. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that for, for your community. I think that's uh very, 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 very important. Um, and, and I'm guessing like, you know, the idea that there's always the idea of, you know, when you give to someone or something, you're not doing it for you. 
right? You're doing it for the uh, enhancement and betterment of the people that you are giving to. And I bet that the, the, pro, the I don't, what's the word, like the productions or, or the, the, the art that came out of it had to have been like, just, just mind blowing. And, and any, you know, in so many levels. Oh my goodness. It's some of the most gratifying work I've ever done. You know, the kids have such vivid imaginations. They think about things so differently. I learned so much, you know, in working with and mentoring young people. They give me so much energy and so much life. Like a lot of times people are asking me like, oh, how do you make time for all this stuff? You wear so many different hats. I'm like, because I love it. Like <laughs> we created oh, a black space we created a cipher. It's like a, a circle where we rap and sing for like two hours every Friday. And so um, a lot of times people are like, oh man, you know, you've been working all day that you come out to the cipher. I'm like, look, this cipher is exactly where I'd be in my leisure time because it's awesome. Like yeah. it's the coolest thing ever. And the fact that I helped create it is kind of beside the point. The fact that it's mentorship and that it's helping kids build self-esteem and giving them a safe space to express themselves, uh, you know, and, and get out of their, you know, neighborhoods where there are shootings happening and other stuff is going down and we're, we're creating a safe haven for them in a creative space. Like that, that's all great, but also I just like it. It's like going to the movies on Friday or going out for ice cream. I go to the cypher because it's awesome space to be in and the energy is wild and it's just magical. I walk out of there feeling like a butterfly. And yeah. it fills you know, your soul, man. It sounds it like it fills, really fills your soul. Bro, it fills me up so much. It feels like the, you know, the cup overfloweth, you yep. know? Yep. And so I'm and, grateful. Absolutely. And that comes that comes through listening to you listening to you talk about it. And and I think that uh the ability to to be you know with with all the different hats that you wear right from politician to educator to musician to be able to get into it in with the with the community and be there and, and be on an, an equal playing field has got to be meaningful you know as as someone who is a role model right that's what you are in so many ways to, to the folks that you work with and i think for to be on that level and to just get so much out of it and to be like exuberant i think that's the, the right word about your experience and your mm. time there it's gotta it's just gotta resonate heavily and 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 just with so much meaning um so sorry were you gonna say something well, I was just going to say that, you know, it, it may sound like I'm an anomaly or I'm a special exception, but actually each of us, everyone listening to your podcast, all of us have access to that kind of quality of life to be able to um, daily engage in something that you're exuberant about. And for my dad, it was it was architecture. He wasn't just an architect because it was like looked good on a resume and made a good salary and oh maybe i'll try architecture this man was a nerd he walked into buildings and he's like oh look at the arches check out the way natural light comes in from the you know he's just like geeks out over this stuff and you know i think one of the most important things we can do as adults um is find something that we're passionate about that we can pour ourselves into and I've been really lucky because both my parents were able to do that and uh, I've been able to do it as well. And I hope that I'm modeling that for my children and others. Yeah, I, I was just going to say like and, and, and it's a trickle down, right? It sounds like you were very uh, aware of what your parents were doing, right? And, and the effort and the passion that they put into 
what they did, whether it be music or whether it be architecture. And then, you know, now you're doing your thing and I'm sure, right. And this is where we start talking about your two records, right? I'm sure that your kids have had the same experience watching you do what you do and being a part of it. So, so tell me a little bit about what, um, what inspired you to make the, the, your, I think it's your first record as a, as a, you know, for families, right? Dad, D-A-D. Yeah, D-A-D, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the record and, and what got you to, to the point of putting it all together. Yeah, well, D-A-D was kind of in the works for a while. Um, I mean, pretty much since Justice was born. I've got two kids. My son is 12 um, now. And I started writing songs about being a dad, um, you know, as soon as I became one. And a lot of these songs lived on my phone. You know what I mean? Like they, the, I would, ideas and little things would pop up in my head uh, and I would record them. <laughs> Back then I was on a Blackberry uh, <laughs> and I would record them as voice memos on my Blackberry. And, you know, um, over the years I've accumulated so many song bites and snippets. And oftentimes it would just be like, you know, can you click your seatbelt, please? Buckle your seatbelt. Click, clickety, click, clickety, clickety, click, clickety, click, clickety, click. You know, just like, mm-hmm. and I would take out my phone and say, oh, that, that sounds like a nice beat. And I just beatbox it into my phone. And, um, you know, for a long time, I never really thought much about these song ideas. I thought enough of them to capture them, but not really to develop them into tunes until my dad got sick in 2019. Well, I guess he was diagnosed in 2016, but he really, uh, my father was diagnosed with ALS and, you know, he passed away in July of 2019. And, you know, the six months prior to his transition, I was spending a lot of time with him one-on-one. Uh, and during that time, I, I reflected a lot on what a wonderful father he was and the gift of fatherhood that he bequeathed in me, that same joy and exuberance that I have for the work that I do. I have that same joy about being a dad. And part of how we spent our time together, you know, like, because I was one of his primary caregivers along with my mom and my siblings, you know, I would be scrolling through my phone to show him videos of like, oh, remember this, uh, you know, Halloween two years ago or this birthday party or that, um, you know, recital. You know, I'm literally time traveling with my dad as I'm scrolling through my phone and reminiscing with him. Uh, he was wheelchair bound at that time. And so my phone was one of the ways I was able to to, to whisk him away to, you know, to, to better days. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that process, I stumbled upon like a bunch of gems, videos and songs and voice notes that I had recorded. And, um, you know, uh, the the kind of in the space that opened up, I think this happened with a lot of people during COVID the following year in 2020. But for me, I had my my world stopped for me a year before COVID when my dad was ill <clears throat> and, it, and it really got me to reflect and then I, you know, for me, writing music was part of my grieving ritual. You know, when I would come home from taking care of my dad and I'm just bawling or in tears or, or, or happy, you know, for having spent time with him. One of the ways that I, that I helped process those difficult emotions was to, you know, to break out the, the piano or the B pad or to open up a software and start making music. And, um, these 
voice memos in particular became uh, like a sample base for um, the music that I was making. And that's all DAD is. Literally from track one, uh, Tuck Me In to Ascend, every single song on that album, every single interlude includes an actual voice memo from my actual phone oh, going wow. back to 2008. And if you listen real close, I actually had to go back and double check. I was like, did every, yeah, literally every song has a recording that was not made in the studio, but was made on a phone. And then I took it and sampled it and, uh, and made it a beat around it. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, what would you call that? I guess it's like a concept album. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. mm -hmm. I mean, I have some, so, you know, we, it's, it's just, I'm going to try to like be, like get this thought out of my head, but like we give so much as parents, like so much time and effort and mental energy is spent on, are my kids having too much screen time or my kids having too much screen time, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. But there is a flip side to it, right? There is this for creative people. And I only know it in a musical way. Right. And it sounds like you use your phone in the same way. And in a lot of ways it is, so amazing to have this thing in your pocket with you at all times where you can just capture a melody or capture, you know, a beat or, or capture whatever it is that you're hearing. And I think that that, that, that bit of the technology, that side of it, the music making side is really, really like it. It's amazing. And it's really, and it's really cool. And I think for people to hear from you that like, all of the stuff that you hear, all of these sounds that you hear all come from like your phone and things that you've captured. It's just really neat. People don't always know where music comes from. And I think that like, you know, we were talking about sound exploder before or song exploder before we started rolling. And I think that that's a really important thing for, for people who are interested in your music to know is that this is all coming from like a real place. And I think that's really, really amazing. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I think technology has always had a radical impact on music. I mean, going back to jazz, like a piano was a technology that was created for music making. And when, you know, cl classical French composers kind of smashed up with African, you know, drumming and like blue note, uh, pentatonic uh soul singers you have the birth of jazz in new orleans you have um funk parliament funkadelic all came out of the innovations of moog and and um right. you know those monophonic synth sounds that that were a technological advance um theremin the first synth is like a theremin which was like you know a sonic uh you know military device you know it came out of that military research and then hip-hop too i mean you've got you know the dj became an instrument in the context of hip-hop and sampling so each generation i think music has had a creative explosion because of some technological advance and uh yeah you're, you've nailed it like phones are one of those new technologies and the other one i would say is kind of the laptop as an instrument sure. because this time a generation ago you have an idea in your head even if you had a like a tape recorder that you could you know capture the idea on you still had to go into a studio these days people are producing grammy winning albums on their laptop 
you know, and you you can do it all kind of with the software that's yeah. available now. Do it on GarageBand so, in your bedroom, right? <laughs> yo, it's it's incredible. So, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent that that technology plays a big role, and you know, it's just been a privilege for me um, in the creative space to to literally take the words and thoughts of my family and, and to weave that into something, you know, that other families can enjoy. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a perfect segue moment thinking about the, you know, the sounds of your family to talk about, to talk about your new record, um, black to the future. And it's truly a family affair. And, and I, I, I just want to like, let you, let you roll on that for a minute and, and like the importance of family and how family, um, played an, a really integral role in this record and the creation of this brand new record. Yeah. Well, you know, my first family music album, DAD, as you mentioned, um, a lot of that was inspired by my role as a father and my father, um, who, who was passing away when I was recording the album. Um, you know, this next album, black to the future, really expands the palette. You know, there are four generations of my song on this album. My grandmother's on the album who, who passed away in 2015. My dad, both my siblings, <laughs> you know, my children, my nieces and nephews. Like, it's wild. My mom has a song. She's the opener and the closer of the album. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a family affair. It's a multi-generational uh, odyssey into, um, you know, uh, 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 um, a, a family story through a black lens. Um, and that was really intentional. Uh, black to the future is, is a, it's a welcoming families into the black experience from a, a you know, a young millennial Southern father's perspective and his mom and his grandma and his kids, like they're all on the album talking their, talking their talk unapologetically and it's uh yeah man it came together so so beautifully so powerfully i'm really really proud of this album yeah absolutely so let's let's dig into some of this a little bit and we're gonna start with um let's start with the first song no one exactly like you which features your mom how, how did this one come to be wow so the, the skit at the beginning yeah. of the album that yeah, introduces yeah. the song is absolutely true like there's a box of tapes vhs tapes kids are like what's vhs oh well kids it's an ancient technology we used to make videos back in the 80s uh yeah we have a box of dusty vhs tapes that i was going through <clears throat> and i found this video of my mom in 1988 and she's singing this you know this beautiful song um about you know being a unique individual and um there's no one exactly like you me no one exactly like you and you know i'm listening to her sing this acapella by the way like and i'm like this is beautiful yeah. so i i you know ripped it off the tape with my you know sampling magic <laughs> i had to buy a vh a vcr oh wow um yeah. you know i had my rca cables going into you know, my um, sound card with some converters and, you know, yeah. I ripped I ripped the audio off the tape and then um, I started adding kind of vocals to it. I snapped my fingers. I added some background vocals. I added bass um, and, and transformed it into a song that that felt contemporary 
but old school. You know, it still feels like 88, but it's got like a 2088 sound yeah. to it as well. So, yeah. And I love, I love the description of how you got it from this VHS tape to whatever, you know, whatever, you know, for lack of a better word, whatever software you were using to, to be able to manipulate it and, and turn it into the song. So, so we're, we're going to, we're going to get back to family for sure. Um, but I would love to hear, uh, about cootie shot. Right. And, and I, and I think cootie shot is my read on it is it's all about vaccination, but I think that you have a real message that you're trying to get across besides get your shot. Yeah. I mean, cootie shot <laughs> is such a fun song. I mean, what's interesting about cootie shot, uh, you know, which for me starts with, um, you know, fear. Like, I have a needle phobia. That is not, that is 100% facts. You can ask my wife. She's sitting right across <laughs> the room from me. Like, as long as she's known me, I mean, I get really scared of needles. Needles and heights. Those are the sure. things that I'm scared of. You and me, buddy. You and me. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. And it's and it's not fun. It is it's it's nerve-wracking. It's it's the worst phobia because I travel a lot and you need to get vaccinated to go to a lot of countries outside of the US. Yep. And they use big needles for vaccinations when you're getting yellow <laughs> fever. It's like the jumbo ones. <laughs> So like, man, when it came time for COVID vaccines, I was like, first of all, I was dreading it. Then, then I found out that they want you to take two shots. Oh, yeah. Two shots? <laughs> the worst. Oh, my God. For a needle phobic person, I was telling my wife, I want the J&J. &J. Just give me the Johnson Johnson. It's one shot. She was like, yeah, but it's only like 60, 70 percent <laughs> efficacy. We got to go Pfizer. So, oh, my God. It was so Anyway, I did it. I got my shot. But good, good. I think that, you know, that's for me, it's about it's about um, facing your fears, you know, and and when I when I think about COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on this country, on our elders, um, you know, it's it's so much more important to summon the courage to face your fears than, than it is to, you know, acquiesce to them in this yeah. particular instance. So, and I wanted kids, you know, a lot of COVID, a lot of, um, you know, vaccine proponents are just like, just do it. It's the right thing to do, but they don't always acknowledge the fact that this might be scary for some people. Um, for me, it was the physical pain of being poked by a needle, but for others, it might be, you know, I don't know, has this been tested well enough? You know, there are other reasons why people might be hesitant. And uh, to approach the song from that vulnerable space was really important to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and it's so cool for me as a musician who is also a politician to be making music and then <laughs> the next day, like, legislating and making policy. That, to right. me, is like probably one of the highlights of my life to be in the position I'm in as a member of city council, releasing children's music and influencing culture, but also writing policy and influencing, um, you know, people's lives on the ground. That's yeah. like dream come true. It's amazing. And it's a lot touching a lot of people in a lot of different ways. It's really, really great. Um, mm. So I have two more. I want to, I want to talk about in particular, um, and I don't want to gloss over anything except to say that, folks need to check this record out. So tell me about LeVar Burton 
because LeVar Burton, I grew up with that guy, right? Reading Rainbow was like, that was the show I was allowed to watch. Talk to me. Tell me everything. Oh, my God, man. First of all, LeVar Burton is just my hero. He is so cool. He's so awesome. So significant in American popular culture. Um, You know, for me, it's really Reading Rainbow is part of a holy trinity of my childhood. Uh Roots is comes before reading rainbow before we know lavar as as the guy who taught us how to read it was roots for me uh-huh. because my grandmother queen mother francis pierce who appears on the album on the song attitude of gratitude she was <laughs> the most afrocentric granny fathomable she wore kente cloth like she dragged us to kwanzaa fest like you know, she named my mom Nena Chinieri Nena Freelon, which is this random Nigerian name. Like, I thought, Granny Franny, why are you so African? It's annoying. That's how African she was. <laughs> wow. And so, uh, and she made us watch Roots, like <laughs> this show about slavery. Like, you know, which, by the way, if you Google Roots, the show, like, it's won more Emmys and more awards and was one of the most influential television shows in the history of American television. And LeVar Burton was the main character, Kunta Kente, this African boy. And so, you know, to go from Roots to Reading Rainbow, then to Star Trek, like, dude. (laughs) That's leaving your mark for sure. (laughs) Bro, like my parents were the biggest Trekkies. Star Trek The Next Generation is my favorite television show. Wow, you heard it first, folks. Nice way to own it. I like that. Yo, let me tell you when I knew I'd met the woman I was going to marry when she got me a seven season box set of Star Trek TNG for my birthday. I said, OK, put a ring on it. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. <laughs> we're, we're just going to, you know, what? just hang the jersey up. I'm retired. Like, so, you know, Star Trek is so cool. And, you know, the role that he plays on Star Trek. First of all, he's differently abled. He's a blind man. Um, he's the smartest guy on the ship. He's totally a nerd. Like, cause you know, I, I grew up also with LL Cool J and like, you know, like I saw black men and as, you know, masculine tough guys. Um, but I, I didn't see like, you know, this kind of vulnerable, intelligent man. It was such a unique role, Jordy LaForge in Star Trek. So anyway, I apologize in advance to all your listeners who don't like star trek or care about this well, uh, this guy it's important, it's important to have an open mind and and if you haven't been a star trek fan and maybe this is what gets you into it right right at least check it out and yeah. and but you know this that that this uh, you can hear it in my voice like this man it was so influential in my life and uh and so influential in the children's space you know the roots roots the television show was an educational show which taught a lot of people about um uh, chattel slavery and systemic white supremacy. Star Trek is a show that is very, very rooted in social justice and breaking norms and boundaries, especially in television. Reading Rainbow obviously is a, is a PBS classic show. It's right up there with, um, you know, with uh, Jim Henson and, and Sesame Street and Walt Disney in terms of significant children's shows it's yeah. just one of the most iconic so um here's this guy that's at the at the axis of all three of these and um i wanted to make a song that introduced his brilliance to a new generation of kids who may not be exposed 
to how dope he is and how important important and influential he was for me. Yeah, and, and in addition to like the campaign to get him to be the new host for Jeopardy, could you imagine? Oh my God! Well, I wrote like Lavar Burton. You know, was really was a candidate for DAD, but it didn't really fit the it didn't really fit the model. Uh-huh. So it was cool. Like I'm I've heard about the Jeopardy thing, and I hope he gets it. But you know, my love for Lavar goes like way before yeah. uh, the it's Jeopardy deep. buzz. Yeah, it's deep. It's great. Um, so you mentioned, you know, being a vulnerable person and, and there is a song vulnerable. Um, it, it, so what's with this particular song? Who are you trying to reach? Well, it says in the lyrics, black boys, it's OK to be vulnerable. That's like in the song and it's intentionally in the song because, uh, you know, other than the fact that, you know, the album Black to the Future, it, it's intentionally and unapologetically black. And, you know, the the personal is universal. So when I say black boys, it's okay to be vulnerable. I'm not only talking, uh, I, I, well, first of all, I am only talking to black boys, but that I, I, I want all boys to listen to that and see themselves reflected in it. Um, the reason that it's important to me that, that I'm intentionally talking to black boys is because, whew, Radical Black Feminists, thank you so much for gifting us the the concepts around intersectionality. There's a, a woman named uh, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw who coined the phrase, and it basically talks about how we have intersecting identities. So like you could be black and queer and woman or black and male and trans or indigenous and, you know, and poor and, um, you know, Mexican. And, you know, like there's there's these intersecting identities and for uh all men and boys deal with toxic masculinity we're raised in a in a culture that teaches us manhood is a particular type of thing and that's something that all boys share all boys and young men share being exposed to that and i want to disrupt that i want to smash the patriarchy i'm an ally to feminists yay now black boys experience a particular type of hyper-masculine, anti-black patriarchy, which tells us, you know, we can either be the rappers that we hear on the radio, where you're either a basketball player, you're a drug dealer, you're, you know, the type of stereotype of black masculinity is particularly insidious. And uh, in order to disrupt that, I need to talk directly to black boys in a language that that they're going to understand. The language is hip-hop. And, and it's a very direct ask for their attention. Black boys, it's okay to be vulnerable. And um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's really, really important. It's one of my favorite songs on the album and one that I really think um, crystallizes for me uh, the importance of um, intersectionality in, in music and my role as an ally to disrupt white supremacy and patriarchy through my music. Amazing. Um, and, and I think that another way, right, another way that you do that is through the song that I've been, you know, that we started talking about before we were rolling, and that is um, Braid My Hair. And, and before I before I let you go on it, I, I just felt like I, I had like a number of thoughts <laughs> as I was <laughs> listening to it. One was like, wow, I really feel like I'm listening to something like very like special and almost like private between a father and daughter, right? Like, like I, I, w- I was allowed into a room that 
to people aren't always allowed into, right? Yeah. It, it felt yeah. like that kind of a shared experience. And then the other thing was musically, I was like, oh, wait a second. You know, the song started. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't working. Like what's, why, why am I, what's going? And then all of a sudden it turns into like the most killer hook and the most like together song. And, and it's your daughter who's, who's singing with you. And she just like kills it. And I was just like blown away. I've listened to it. Like to be very honest with you, like five times <laughs> in the lead up to this conversation. Cause I can't get over it. Like just all of these thoughts and feelings I'm having about the song. Um, and it's just so, I, I mean, I don't know, to me, it feels super, super meaningful. And I feel like you allowed me to see part of who you are as a dad that like, you know, all dads engaged, real dads have these things that they do with their, with their daughters that we often don't get to see because of whatever the, you know, all the stuff you were talking about in terms of vulnerable, all the stuff we're not supposed to share, but like, if you're an engaged dad and you're doing the real dad thing, like these are things that, that you do. So I, I, I want to thank you for letting me into your world for that, for, for those, those few moments of the song. Wow. That is a really thoughtful um, reflection on the music and I appreciate your feedback. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So, so it, is this like, did you feel that at all when you were putting this out there? Like, Oh, this is like a really personal thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of my music is very intimate, very personal. Um, I absolutely feel um, that I was, you know, again, just trying to channel what was authentic to my experience. And uh, and again, you know, without without outwardly saying like this is a black thing, it is. I mean, a lot of what I talk about there is very black. Shea butter is a very black thing to put in very black hair. And, you know, I know from watching my wife and watching my grandmother before her, who is also a hairdresser, that when you're doing a black girl's hair, uh, in order to keep your hand from continuing to dip into that uh, into that bucket of whatever product you're using, if it's shea butter or, or something else, they put it on the back of their wrist so that they can keep, you know, keep braiding uh, kind of effortlessly. You know, you've got that scrunchy handy so that when you need to get the hair that's you're not working on out of the way, you know, you can you can wrap it up so you can focus on the braids that are right in front of you. You know, those types of intimate details, um, I think, are what create what you're describing in terms of an intimate glimpse. Yeah. Um, and, and like, yeah. Who cares? Like, isn't there a line like um, you want to forget it? It's something like you want to go slow because you want to make the lines pop. I was like, oh, my right. God, that's so good. <laughs> yeah make your parts pop yeah uh you know and when you rinse make sure the water's hot like you know when you're rinsing my hair don't just be putting me in the sink <laughs> with some cold you know water you need to warm it up first yeah, and don't on, make dad. sure it's not too hot like yeah. get it ready dad <laughs> yeah. so that you know that kind of thing like i said it's it's personal but it's also universal and i'm glad that you saw yourself reflected in that very uh you know, intimate experience. But, you know, going back to my, I mentioned the first song I ever wrote about my kids was sleeping in my bed. Like, right. that's literally my bed. There's no more intimate space than the bed that I share with my wife. And the whole song is about, <laughs> is about being there and being annoyed with the presence of a third party who is not invited. You know, so like, I think that uh, a lot of my music uh, embraces that kind of uh, intimacy and um 
I've found that it's a it's a really um, important space to be, as particularly as a, as a black man, um, uh, in in popular media, mm-hmm. right? At all, because we're not often given space to show our intimacy and to show our vulnerability. Um, and so I know that that even though it, for me it's you know kind of a therapeutic gesture of self expression. It's also, you know, the personal is political. You know, I also learned that from radical black feminists. And and so for me to to tell that story and to tell it loudly for all to see is also a political um, statement about masculinity, about fatherhood, about being nurturing. And uh, all those are really important things we need to see more of uh, in the world. Absolutely. So we, we could go on and on. We could go track by track. But I think that we want to leave some for, for listeners to discover, too. Um, so, so, Pierce, how do, we, how do we get your music? How do we find you? How do we follow you? What's the social media? What's the website? Like all, all of the, all the stuff. Sure. So I, I keep it pretty simple. My name is Pierce Freelon. That's Pierce like Pierce your ear and then F-R-E-E-L-O-N. That is all of my social handles, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. All of it is just my name. No funky spellings. Luckily, my name is unique enough that no one else is named Pierce Freelon. So even if you spell it wrong, you'll probably find me. So uh, yeah, I would say uh, my primary uh, social media platform at the moment is probably Instagram. So uh, you'll see the most activity there, but I'm on all those other places too. And I hope to see you there. Excellent. And we're going to, we're going to play a song now. Uh, I am no more clear on which, on which song to play than, than I was before we talked. So maybe what do you think Pierce? What, what song should we play for the good people listening to the good stuff kids podcast? Well, I would say since we ended on Braid My Hair, that would be a good one to uh, to welcome folks into. Awesome. Well, Pierce, thank you so much for your time. Um, this was amazing. Thank you for the music. Thank you for your work in making our world a more just and equitable place and for doing the big political work. Uh, you're my hero. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Daddy, will you braid my hair? Daddy, will you braid my hair? Oh, daddy, 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 will you braid my hair? Daddy, will you braid my hair? I'm tender-headed, just with care. Oh, daddy, daddy, first you gotta brush my hair. Wash until it's clean and clear. Oh, daddy, daddy, my edges will you braid them down. Put a button on my crown, no, daddy, daddy, did you get the oil that I like? You know we need to moisturize, oh, daddy, 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 will you braid my hair? I don't want to go out there till you put some shea butter on your fish, put a stretchy on your wrist, let me see you do that with French braids. Make sure your parts pop when we rinse, I'll make sure the water's hot. 
Your head is in the sink like the dishes. Gotta get this hair clean before we twist it. You're a queen, but you know you gotta listen to me. Massage that scalp, good. Where them suds at? I'm cold. Get that towel over here. I'm ready for them braids to appear. Take a piece to the left, middle and the right. Weave them together and you pull it so tight. That's it. Let me see you do that twist. Daddy, we braid my hair. Stuff.